Ariella, your hostess. I'm so thrilled you've chosen to listen in to such an intriguing discussion. I chose the Fermi Paradox as the overarching topic of today's episode because it's interesting to people of all ages. I mean, who doesn't wonder about the existence of aliens? Will we ever interact with extraterrestrial life? My first chosen guest is both my uncle and an avid reader, Dimitri Rooklin. Dima, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, first, Ariel, thanks for having me uh, on your podcast. I'm kind of honored here. Um, so I I'll give you a little bit of history about myself. I mean, you obviously know, uh, but for the guests, uh, my parents immigrated to the U.S. when I was seven. Um, like many Russian Jews of my uh, generation, I grew up in New York, uh, something that may be a little unique. I, I graduated from the Naval Academy in 2004, so I decided to leave New York. Uh, with a degree in systems engineering, um, which was always my sort of uh, interest, uh, science and engineering. Uh, Spent uh, about seven years uh, as a naval officer. Uh, My specialty was surface warfare. So I I had a lot of time uh, to look at the ocean uh, and think about things. So I left the Navy in 2011. Uh, Fast forward until two years ago before COVID when uh, we still drove to work, right? Uh, A lot of people commuted. Mm -hmm. And I found myself with about an hour and a half to two hours in my day, uh, basically wasted. So I asked a friend of mine, what do I do? And he suggested uh, read audiobooks. And that's where uh, this, that's what led me here. Uh, I've basically started reading about one or two a month on topics from, you know, psychiatry, botany, science fiction, etc. I began to devour uh, knowledge, uh, which is not to say that I'm a particular SME subject matter expert in in any of them. I I wouldn't be so arrogant to say that. But what it did lead me to do and to think about was as I read one book after another, I, I started thinking about how it all fits together. And I've never really been at this point in my life where I have, you know, I know facts uh, and I'm trying to piece them all together and figure out what it all means. Right. Um, You know, where we come from, why are we alone or are we alone in the universe and uh, et cetera. And, And what what each topic means in the grand scheme of things. So I have to ask, why are you so knowledgeable in this area? Well, like I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a um, you know subject matter expert, but I I, I would say knowledgeable uh, because of um, you know all the r- books that I've read and and articles that I've read and and you know just thinking through the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I would have to attribute my my knowledge base uh, not just to you know that person that read one book, you know being that guy, but also uh, having conversations like this where I learn a different perspective from someone else who knows about it. Cool. Now let's get to conversing. I just wanted to make a quick disclaimer before we start that any ideas we discuss in this episode may have originated from someone else, and our goal isn't to steal intellectual property. Contrary, it's to discuss the world. So if you feel we've misrepresented your intellectual property, please contact us using the email podcast at chitchatworld.org. So it's spelled 
P-O-D-C-A-S-T at C-H-I-T-C-H-A-T world, W-O-R-L-D dot org. Um, so the topic of today's episode is Fermi Paradox. So um, Dima, do you, uh, what do you know? Like, what are the basics of the Fermi Paradox, you would say? Uh, well, basically, uh, Fermi, uh, he calculated the odds uh, or the estimated odds of, you know, what and how many uh, intelligent civilizations should be out there, um, you know, because Earth is what one of uh, trillions or gazillions of planets. And, uh, you know, he said that obviously the the odds are overwhelmingly that there should be civilizations that are as intelligent or even more so than ours. So the paradox is if there's such a high chance of that happening, um, then why haven't they found us or we found them? Yeah. But the thing is, is like, he's saying that there could be extraterrestrial life, like in our solar system or even in another solar system. So like another question is like, will we ever meet that life? Well, like, will we ever, are they sending us signs? Like those kind of questions are asked a lot too. Yeah. I mean, um, the interesting part is that, uh, you know what they say, if, uh, if you're 60, what is it? 60 million light years away. Like how long did dinosaurs exist ago? I don't even remember. Like, but let's say you, for example, you know, 60 million years, if that's the magic number, yeah. if you're 60 million light years away from earth, you actually see the dinosaurs right now, not human beings. So the sheer vastness of the cosmos uh, could make it, well, does probably make it very difficult to even communicate. Um, I mean, our rovers on Mars, uh, it takes 20 minutes for a single message to get to us. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that Wait, could be one possibility. Do you, think, do you think, like, people, like, a million years later, will be able to see extraterrestrial life, maybe, because it's happened... So we could see basically what happened before us if we That's look. correct. That's correct. The further up in the sky you look, you're actually looking in the past. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're not looking at the present. Um, we don't realize it because the speed of light, obviously, you know, is, is much faster than we can tell in front of you. But let's say that, you know, it takes uh, a certain amount of minutes. I think it was just six or ten minutes to... For light to travel from the sun, for example, to us, um, you know, and, and so that light is that old. Um, so, yeah, uh, we, we, you know, if we look out into the cosmos, what we see is essentially, you know, the light that has come to us. Yeah, that's pretty um, crazy. Isn't it? <laughs> I've always found it interesting. But the question, the real, the, the thing is that, um you know, what's becoming more clear uh, to to us is that, you know, maybe that's the, is it necessarily the right question to ask uh, what's out there? Uh, Or do we sort of, you know, now people are asking um, how we interact with reality, right? So, um, 
you know, when it's like the okay, it's a famous uh, adage: uh, if, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear, it doesn't make a sound. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. Well, right. Well, what do you think? Does it? I mean, no, because no one. Sound is just wavelengths and frequency going in and ear. Exactly. Exactly. So you know the you know all of our five senses they're uh you know there's just electrical signals going into the brain and so you know if uh, for example when you touch something you're never act- you're not actually touching it uh that's um you know what that's your uh, electrons pushing against the electrons of the surface uh th- that you're so-called touching and your uh brain is registering through your nerves the, that pushback, uh, the electromagnetic uh, force pushback as um, touch, right? Yeah. So, so the question is, what's there? You know, um, increasingly there's become this theory out there uh, called the user interface of uh, reality. And I think, you know, you and I have talked about it before mm-hmm. where um, basically the, the mind, you know, we evolved um, you know, it's, it's, it, we evolved to, for fitness, right? So that's evolution. We evolved to be fit, more fit uh, than creatures around us and than our predecessors. Um, well, this takes it one step further. We evolved to interact with whatever objective reality there is and take away only information that's relevant to our survival. Yeah, I, so, um, I just have something to say. I like looked, I was like researching about that and mm-hmm. how it relates to the Fermi paradox. It's like um, a simile for like people that like just want an easier explanation. Basically, it's like when you're using a computer and you you're seeing what's on the screen, but you're not seeing what's inside the actual computer. So like the interface theory, it basically says um, it talks about the relationship between what you actually perceive and then the reality that's behind what you perceive and how what you perceive is actually like how it actually happens. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the question is, is, you know, the, the uh, kind of analogy uh, takes one step further when you're looking at a screen, right. When you look into the computer screen, um, first of all, uh, it's, it's not fake, right. It represents something real. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, I definitely know the the uh, risk of not saving my file, right? <laughs> so I know that it's physically not there. It's a representation of electrical signals going in and out of computer chips. But I still know that uh, what's on that screen could be consequential in my life, right? So um, it's useful more to us to look at that screen, to play around and interact with the computer in the screen than it is for us to open up the computer and uh you know try to play around with all the microchips right so yeah. the mi- the microchips being uh reality right some sort of objective reality but we don't need that right we just need to see what's on the computer screen so you know that could be one answer to the fermi paradox is that there are other creatures out there that are you know are looking at different computer screens i guess you could say or that have substituted something else for computer screens altogether and another um, thing um just to say something quick, um, our I saw this thing where someone was proposing that our world could just be like a 2D mirror reflection. It could basically be our world is 2D and it's like on 
like it's a reflection of something it was confusing it was like saying that our world is 2d and then like what's controlling us is actually like 3d at world 2d in like a 3d dimension or something and then it was saying how like this extraterrestrial life could be controlling us and our the extraterrestrial life could be like the chips in the computer and we're just like what you see you know you know what that reminds me of when you say that um when you said it's confusing i i agree with you uh, a lot of these are you know you read these theories and they're just uh oh my god i mean i'm not a physicist or a mathematician and um it, it's just nuts all i am is an engineering major and it's still very confusing um but neil degrassi tyson uh, had an excellent quote and he said the universe is under no obligation to make sense to us and that's one and two, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, one of his speeches, you know, he said, um, if we were if we were the size of an amoeba or the size of a, you know, a very small creature, right, infinitesimally small, we would understand the science of the really, really, really small. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it, there's actually, I, I think, evidence now where amoebas uh, interact with, uh, you, you know, with their surroundings in part using quantum theory um, and quantum entanglement or something like that. Uh, and then if we were huge, you know, if we, if we were the size of, let's say, uh, a planet or planets or, or giants, we would understand the science of the really, really large. So um, basically, we can only know so much. Right. We're kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Right. We're we're we're, we're stuck with you know what makes sense to us is what's most useful to us kind of brings us and and yeah i wait you know i just i found the um quote it says what i was talking about um it says the brandeis education site it says it holds that the universe is a three-dimensional image projected off a two-dimensional surface much like a hologram emerges from a sheet of photographic film so yeah what i meant was like the proposition that our universe is three-dimensional and it's projected off of something and like those aliens or that extraterrestrial life they're the ones projecting us so they have more power than us essentially and we don't even know it i mean that's interesting i mean i i suppose that certainly is possible um i don't know i'm i'm of the opinion that uh, I mean, of course, this is all, you know, speculation, everyone's part. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that I don't I don't know. I, I maybe I'm not cynical enough, but I don't think that there's overlords uh, controlling us. So I suppose there could be. But I think that the the user interface of theory, um, to me, I find it very empowering because we're just, our, you know, our brains evolved to say, yep, you know, we don't really need to know all that stuff. We need to know the only stuff that keeps us alive. Um, and I like being alive, <laughs> you know, I like, uh, I like where we are and, you know, sometimes not knowing is, uh, is more, you know, interesting in of itself, but the hologram theory, I, I I'm vaguely familiar with it. Um, so, so what does it do? It, it basically states that there's somebody controlling that hologram, yeah. but then the begs, the, but then to what end? I, I don't know. It says um, it's actually part of the user surface theory of reality mm-hmm. and user interface. Yeah, yeah, user interface. And 
it um talks about how we're just projected off of a surface and then comes the question who's projecting us then like who's projecting the universe and our three-dimensional image and that would be that extraterrestrial life and then actually something that people use to back that up and another point um the quantum slit or double slit experiment uh you know of this where the electron was acting differently um so that basically there was an an experiment done and they looked at electrons two different ways and the electron acted differently based on if it was and wasn't being watched i'm sure you can explain this with more detail but um basically people this led and it leads currently people to believe that everything has consciousness and that there's a higher power that's actually controlling us because it's like the electron had a brain because it was just acting differently you know two different ways so that also connects with the fact that you know maybe the the extraterrestrial life is projecting us off this image and they have that control over us and that might be like proof it's interesting um i mean certainly it you know if uh i think that there have been a number of uh theories that come out of that the quantum uh slit experiment um which basically says that a uh a photon right a beam of light uh you know is it does it act like uh um you know does it act like a wave or a particle um and you know the the results depend on which way you look you know whether or not somebody's uh looking at it right um if somebody's looking at it, it acts one way. And if somebody's not, it acts a different way. Uh, but not only that, um, it's, it's past also changes. So if, uh, if you monitor the outcome of what it acts like, it will change what it acted like. So if the outcome that's monitored is that it acted like a, a particle, then it uh, it changes its past tact like but a, a part that I don't understand how does it change its past well if let's say you're not monitoring it right uh, you, um, and it acts like a wave right but uh, what they did was they put um, y- you know they measured it going into the slit right mm-hmm. and if you measure it going into the slit uh, it acts one way but then you measure it coming out of the slit and it acts a completely different way. And then it changes how it acted in the past. So if you go to the camera that, that recorded it going into the slit, it would be completely different than what was originally recorded. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Th- then what's coming out. That's of it. just yeah. weird because it's like the camera's like recording something and what you're seeing isn't what it recorded. Well, it's not a camera. That's the thing. There's people that are, you know, have PhDs and a lot smarter than me, but uh, or more advanced that would, you know, there's different ways of measurements. I Um, believe they use like lasers and, you know, different instruments. But yeah, basically the idea is the same thing is that uh, you measure it one way. And the fact that you're measuring it tells it, you know, makes it act one way. Right. And then you're measuring and then you measure it at a different spot. Right. Uh, where all of a sudden now it acts like a wave, then its past trajectory changes as well. So that's kind of like all, 
weirdness, right? The, the, this like, uh, you know, odd uh, behavior kind of makes makes us makes me question, makes a lot of people question. You know, we, we don't even know how we interact with reality, um, right? And no matter how you slice it, right? All of this is super confusing, and you know, uh, I'm sure it makes sense to a physicist somewhere, or or they're equally confused by it. But the point is that, yeah, um, we are kind of questioning that, and so what becomes is, you know is the Fermi paradox, the Fermi equation, it, are we looking at it the right way, right? So we're looking out into the cosmos, right? We're looking and saying, why isn't something coming back, right? Or why haven't we detected something that's out there? But the real, you know, the, the real question is sort of becoming, you know, what's a, what is reality? What is objective reality? Is there an objective reality that we're not seeing? And are there other beings that are seeing that objective reality just in a different way that's useful to them, right? So can we ever interact with that other yeah, being? Yeah, is it ever even, and, like, possible? Right. Well, you know, um, I don't know. What do you uh, – <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting question. That's the only one that really, in, you know, has caught my attention, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know – I don't know. I mean, it's a it's it's interesting to think about, and I suppose that if the you know if reality is a three D user interface, then it 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 does leave the possibility out there of an architect, right? Or when we die, that we just you know kind of take our goggles off. Um, I just happen to be very not very anti, but I um, you know, wouldn't I'm, I try to keep my mind open to the possibility, but I don't like the inference, for example, that there's, you know, some sort of God pulling the strings. Yeah, um, I could see that. You know. Um, so then what would you, what would your belief, like, why do you think then the electron acted differently? Like, what do you think that is? Like, if it's not some sort of higher consciousness that has power over us, then like, what would it be? Well, we're, we don't know. And, and I'm okay not knowing. Okay. And I suppose that's the difference with, you know, I like finding out. I, I, I like um, kind of, uh, di you know, making a, a clear line and the distinction between what we do know and what we don't. And we may never know. And, and I'm okay with that. I think that there are certain people that seek you know, there's a certain finality in knowing and saying, well, this is the thing. Um, this is what will happen, you know, when I die or, or, or you know, um, this is what will happen, in, you know, in that this or that case scenario. Um, and they'll just fill in the blanks. I don't know. I, I, I don't think we'll ever know, really. But it's a uh, it's a fun thing to think about. And another you know? idea that is similar to the. Um... The quantum slit or double slit experiment is the uh, panpsychism. I think I'm saying that right. Panpsychism. Yeah. You are. Um, which is the view that all things have a mind or mind-like quality. So um, it's the belief that something is and isn't conscious. Both they can't be distincted. So like a tree and a person. I guess this distinction between them isn't as different as we think it is, which is kind of weird to think about, but it's the, the belief that 
both the tree and I, both of us have some sort of mind or mind-like quality. This is like the, this is really hard for me to wrap my head around because it's like, what mind-like quality would a tree have, you know? Because I feel like that's really hard to understand. Well, it depends on what your definition of mind-like is. Um, You know, so panpsychism is basically uh, at its root uh says that um consciousness is sort of a uh a force you know there's the 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 four forces of physics there's uh the weak nuclear force a strong nuclear force the gravity and then electromagnetic and you know consciousness is somewhere in there so at the atomic level and it kind of builds up and builds up and builds up and and so uh, everything has some sort of a degree of consciousness, even the chair you're sitting on, although, although it, it's pretty low, right? Yeah. The chair's not actually con- it's not actually conscious looking at your butt thinking, hey, you're sitting on me. No, it's not that at all. But it's looking at consciousness more from like a physical kind of point of view. So you think, you um, think the consciousness, or not you think, but it's saying that the consciousness comes from the force between the atoms more so like a physical like physics according to physics rather than a consciousness like on a spiritual level yeah yeah so that that's kind of what panpsychism is it's um is that uh it's the way i understand it you know it's basically the same thing as uh atoms it's just when when as atoms build on each other uh and you know as they form certain um bonds and certain uh configurations and size uh consciousness kind of grows within that and there are some configurations and and sizes uh, that at which point um you know you you form a conscious being right Uh, in certain configuration and size so i think panpsychism is more looking at it from a a physical point Mm -hmm. of view that consciousness is is embedded within physics and physical objects themselves I feel like that's hard to understand for a lot of people, though, um, because religion shows consciousness and depicts it as this, just this, like, soul and this spirit and not, I feel like it doesn't um, say or depict that, like, it has anything to do with the movement of atoms or the force, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on how you view religion and what your belief system is. Um, but it's important not to confuse uh, religion with science, I mm-hmm. think, because, you know, to me, those are uh, and to a lot of people, those are two different things. Um, you know, uh, and, and some people may say that uh, some of these things are, uh, you know, and some people do say that that, that some of these findings are, are proof uh, that there's a God or it's proof that. Uh, certain theory is even true. Um, so I just like to kind of say uh, two things. Don't let me forget about the tree thing, because that the, the, the tree having a consciousness or experience in the world, that that's something completely different that I'd like that would be interesting to mm-hmm. talk about. Um, but the thing is that, um, personally speaking, uh, whether from the scientific, religious, any point of view, it's very dangerous to infer an entire worldview or history or so, we only know for example the you know a certain amount of quantum physics right so the the double slit experiment has been you know uh to extrapolate that one small uh 
uh, albeit a very significant find, um, and extrapolate that and into an entire uh, worldview and make a lot of assumptions about the, the world. Not that that's what panpsychism does, but um, is also kind of dangerous as well, yeah. you know, because we only know so much. That's why I say that I kind of like not knowing. Uh, there's a certain beauty into it, in it, I think, that because the more you find out and the more that uh, you read out there, the more you can form your worldview or your uh, kind of... Um, you know, your view of reality and what the world is and what it means. Um, but that being said, uh, so, so that aside, um, objectively speaking, science, scientists have actually found the trees uh, do have an experience that can be uh, said that's similar to humans. They actually talk oh, yeah, to each see, other. They I've, communicate I've heard with that each before. other. Yeah, that was recently mm-hmm. only proven. Was, is that through wave um, signals? What is that through? Uh, underground. Oh, uh, they're, they're called uh, micro. Well, yeah, um, they're called mycorrhizal networks, and they're actually through mushrooms. Uh, and you know how, like, the so the, the top of the mushroom that you see in the ground is actually only one part of it. A mushroom is actually 90% underground. Uh, it forms a huge network. And uh, trees, they use those networks to communicate. So they're kind of, they look like nodes. So there will actually be like a big mother tree, what they call it, right? And let's say that um, it's seedlings and stuff pop up around it to grow up trees. And one tree gets attacked by, um, you know, uh, not insect, either insects or some sort of a disease. Uh, it'll actually send a signal to another to other trees around it through these mycorrhizal networks uh, so that they can beef up their defenses, but you know, does defense it, systems. For does lack that of better mean phrase. every tree has th- these mushrooms around it? Well, um, so, yeah, I mean, we the topic hasn't been studied that I, I think it's been studied significantly, but uh, it's sort of in its infancy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the the well, the idea is that trees. So the trees that have been studied do. Yes. Uh, other. But obviously, there, there needs to be a lot more research yeah. done into that. But, yeah, the, the trees that have been studied to, to connect with one another, I believe, and uh to uh, talk to one another do have uh the mushrooms under them the mycorrhizal networks uh an entire forest is due in fact wow. um and you can actually um you can actually do what's called responsible logging in other words um there's a certain point that what the re- the, the researchers are looking into you know, there's a certain point to which the those networks will not recover and you're just going to kill it, mm-hmm. right? But if you responsibly log it, let's say, and I don't know this percent to be true, let's say you chop off 25% of a forest, you know, and you let it grow back, then it'll recover. And by it, chop off, it will you know, recover. You mean like the network of communication between trees? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So... You know, we're kind of, uh, I love it. I love that we're jumping uh, so much around uh, these different topics um, because it all speaks to the fact that um, I think different uh, species, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if consciousness is a good way to look at it because like our frame of reference is so different as human beings. Like we only know what it's like to be a human being. You don't, you can't know what it's like to be a tree. 
take a simpler example. You don't know what it's like yeah, to be Yeah, we could visualize it. We could, you know, but it'll never be, we'll never know. Right. We'll never truly experience it. Exactly. You, you barely know what it, I mean, the closest thing we come to is another human being and we don't even know that. I don't know what it's like to be mm-hmm. in your head, you know? Uh, so it makes it very difficult. Um, but we can look at uh, sort of, inputs and outputs and uh reactions of certain species uh, of um you know animals and plants and various life forms and it, it again goes back to re- you know looking at and finding out how they interact with reality itself like um there's, there's a book what a plant knows um really interesting book uh i'm halfway into it unfortunately because i'm uh, just a very slow reader, you know, but uh, it, um, you know, one thing so far in it is that, uh, you know, plants actually experience a wider, uh, um, they can see more, quote unquote, than we can. They, 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 they can feel, uh, experience more of the, uh, elect- you know, the spectrum of light. Yeah, a lot of animals can, can a lot um, of life. Right, right. But plants. Plants is, yes, that's like, like like plants can sense more of that than we can, you know, and, you know, to me, that's amazing. And, and for us, the only frame of reference for humans is, whoa, you know, a plant can see. Well, no, a plant doesn't see. It just senses, right? Uh, does it have a consciousness like we do? Uh, it may resemble it, you know, but is our consciousness the only one? There's another book about um, uh, intelligent life uh, where a researcher um they research octopuses and uh, they say octopuses is the closest thing actually to aliens uh, that, that can be found on earth. And they are incredibly intelligent. Um, Wait, but what do you mean aliens point... could be found on earth? Like you mean like outside of earth, right? We're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, what I mean is like kind of octopuses are so smart that they're actually think you know that the scientists are actually starting to think that they're conscious like uh like humans um like there was uh you know they've been found uh in captivity to do things to spite people like uh uh in in one um there, there was a lab i read about where uh octopuses hate fish by the way. their favorite snack is crabs and um you know, the scientist, every time she walked by, uh, it would squirt her. Because she gave him and nobody she else. She gave the octopus the food he didn't like. Yeah, yeah. And at one point, um, she said that, uh, you know, she walked and, you know, there's various feeding tanks that are, you know, the various octopus tanks uh, that were across from each other. And she was feeding fish and dropping it in and dropping it in. And, you know, uh, at one point she looked at the octopus and he followed her until she was almost out the door and she looked at him and he looked her in the eyes and took the fish looking her dead in the eye and flood and, and just flushed it down oh. that drain. You know how there's like a, I guess a drain in the tank and a, you know, where the water comes from and yeah. where it comes out. Wow. You know? So there's these experiences that, that, that we hear about and that people have that, you know, really makes you wonder, are we the only conscious being and, um, but more importantly, are we the only ones reacting with this reality? Like, how is that octopus reacting with reality? Are they, um, can they see something that we can't? Are they crossing over to a, another boundary that mm-hmm. we don't see? You yeah. know what I mean? So, and um, this all relates back to the Fermi paradox in that, you know, 
how are we, you know, how are we able, we're talking about how we're able to, you know, interact with extraterrestrial life if we even are. And I like to, there's actually an analogy I saw, which is like um, filling a cup with water from a large, like if you take the large ocean and you take a little bit of water from that ocean and put it in a cup and think about it. If you look through, look in that cup and you don't see anything, right? That doesn't mean there's nothing in the ocean. That's only a little bit of the ocean. So that's similar to the fact that we're limited to see a certain amount of planets and life. And there's a lot else out there that we can't perceive and we can't see, and we might not even be able to understand. But at the same time, it takes a lot of things and circumstances to align perfectly for a planet to host life. So that's another side of it that, you know, even if there is a lot of water in the ocean and we don't see all of it, it might not be right for a fish to be swimming in it. Cause you know, there's actually something I saw on the web. It said that earth, some people think earth is the only planet it's made perfectly for life to exist on it. And there can't be any other planet for life to exist on. But then you take the Fermi paradox, which is saying that, um, you know, the probability of extraterrestrial life somewhere other than us is so, so high that it's almost, you know, 100% true. And then you compare that, you know, those two things. So, you know, they it's, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, what just came to my mind when you said that, I mean, there... So, you know, not too long ago, relatively speaking, I guess, in the Earth's history, uh, there were people that said that uh, the sun revolved around the Earth. You know what I mean? And or that the Earth was flat. And we consistently uh, prove our assumptions wrong uh, as people, uh, no matter how other people um, resist it. Right. So I think that. um yeah, I mean, the, the fact that only the Earth was made for people, is, you know, it's a little bit centric, like biocentric. It's almost like uh, um, there's a close theory to um, the user interface. It, it's kind of, uh, oh, sorry, the, the what's the theory? The panpsychism, mm -hmm. there we go. Uh, that's kind of closely related to it. It's called biocentrism, which is uh, that the... Uh, you know, you make the universe, the universe doesn't make you. Uh, so basically, without any sort of life form, uh, there is no surroundings, there are no surroundings, because um, technically speaking, uh, what the quantum slit experiment proves is that um, a, a thing doesn't really exist unless you are looking at it. Yeah, right. Um, so I don't know, I don't um I'm not sure if I subscribe to the fact that the earth is the only planet that can, the, the, what I like is that I, I do like your, your, what you said about the, you know, the, the cup in the ocean, you know, you take a, only a, a small cup and that's the only thing that you see. Um, the only thing that I, I would kind of add is that we're now questioning what, whether or not that's a cup or whether yes, or not that's an exactly. ocean. Um or whether those two things are representative of something that and, else. And maybe there is there. more in that cup, but we just can't see it, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's a fascinating thing to think about. And, I love um, it. I, other I just, uh... thing, there's actually four main arguments uh, made by this um, man named Hart. 
And he made these arguments as a result of the Fermi paradox and Fermi's paradox and his statement. So he said that his first one actually was that aliens never came and we've never been in contact with aliens because of a physical difficulty. So he said that makes space travel infeasible, which could be related to astronomy, biology, or engineering. So, you know, the fact that they can't come to us, even if they wanted to, then there's another argument that they chose just to never come to Earth. They just don't want to come to Earth. They chose not to. Um, And the third one, that advanced civilizations arose too recently for aliens to reach us. And the fourth one being that aliens have visited Earth in the past, but we have not observed them. So those four statements, they try to, you know, answer people's questions. Well, if there's such a high probability, why haven't we met those, that extraterrestrial life? And, you know, going back to what we were talking about, you know, another argument I would add is maybe they're there. Maybe, you know, they're so obvious. Maybe they're sending us signals and, you know, it's too obvious. We just, we can't perceive them. You know, we're not fit to perceive them and see them. I I would agree with, yeah, that last statement is what is kind of coming out now. Um, that the theory surrounding your last statement is that we're not fit to perceive them. Exactly. That's a very, uh, I would say, accurate way to put it. Um, all of these things that were, you know, the, the biocentrism, uh, user interface theory of reality or, um, you know, anything else that we've, uh, we're discussing that basically that's what they say is that we're not necessarily fit. We, we don't even have the frame of reference to understand what these people are. There was something, uh, an article I've read that said that, you know, physics itself may be a being. Doesn't that blow your yeah. mind? Like, how is that supposed you know what? to that's, be? You know, yeah, like that's fit- crazy. And I, that's actually, there's a statement or, similar to itself. Um, the universe is experiencing itself. That was really confusing to me when I read that. Well, you know what it is? I've thought about that actually uh, recently, not, not on a universal level, but so, you know, it, it, we in our bodies, right? We have individual cells that kind of take up, you know, different roles. We have viruses, et cetera. Um, and, you know, at the center of each cell, right, is a nucleus, um, and if you ever go on YouTube, uh, I, I'd recommend you, you um, look up uh, a white blood cell chasing a virus or a bacteria, and it'll actually show, you know, how a blood, white blood cell, like how it knows to chase it. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is that, is the earth itself alive because we're on it and because all of these organisms are on it? So just like, for example, for your, your brain, right? Um, your brain doesn't know uh, or doesn't think about what each individual cell does unless you're just wondering mm-hmm. about it, right? You know, it's not, it's not telling its kidneys to function, but, you know, but it's just a collection of a bunch of cells and it's just, it's aware of itself, right? Yeah. That, that's really what consciousness is, it's awareness. So the question is, is on a global level, is there sort of a global consciousness that we're not aware of? Is the globe, you know, we, we are on it it's certainly alive but what's the difference between a globe and a brain right you know so are we part of some sort of consciousness yeah i've I've actually seen a lot of videos um they're crazy because people compare images of i've seen some 
So they take pictures of the roots of trees and then compare that mm-hmm. with, let's say, our... Um, no, you know what I've seen? I've seen comparing, like, a zoomed-in picture of your eye to, like, the root of a tree and then, like, our DNA to the universe. People compare, like, images on the cellular level to images of the universe and how similar they are. It's fascinating. It is fascinating, yeah. It makes you think uh, whether or not I mean, patterns repeat themselves, right, in, in various different forms. Uh, it br- you know, this brings to mind, there was a uh, TED Talk um, I, re- I, I heard. Basically, so was math discovered uh, or was it invented? You know, there's a, kind of this interesting question out there. I honestly think it was invented. Um, or was it right? But the the what you just previously said supports that it might have been discovered, because right. So is is math kind of invented like a language that we or or something that we use to describe the world we see, or was it there whether or not we would see it, or mm-hmm. understand it? Right. So I mean, an argument can be made for both. It's very it's, 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 it's but it's an interesting question to think about, because if you you know if if uh, you're looking at a circle, for example, right? All right, well, we're describing something as a circle mathematically, but are we describing it or are we discovering it? Yeah. You know what I but mean? But also, it's, uh, that's the way that's we kind of see interesting... it. We see a circle. Other things might not see a circle, so math Correct. might just be, as weird as it might sound, objective because to us, to humans. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, in that case, it would be. Yeah. In that case, uh, the the point would be correct that it was uh, invented Um, like a language sort of to describe the world. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's very. very, And, you know, um, yeah, uh, it's fascinating. what, What a lot of people say is that because we had I think I'm not sure I'm using the right numbers, but what humans have been on Earth for like. Out of a hundred percent, I think it's like four percent, like of our t- of like our time on this earth. Humans were on it like for four percent of the time. It was definitely less than five percent. But um, people like scientists they base this information, they take it, and they say, well, that means that if there is other extraterrestrial life, they would if they started, um, if they started advancing at the time that dinosaurs were on Earth then they would be much ahead of us technologically by now so that, you know, some of these intelligent life forms, they could be way ahead of us and that, you know, that gives them a reason, you know, that is a reason and a way that they could be controlling us somehow, you know, and that they're much ahead of us, not even just technologically, but, you know, in all areas. Well, why... I guess my, you know, why is it that we would see the need to kind of, is there a certain comfort uh, in, you know, maybe to certain people in thinking that there's control? Like, uh, you know, I keep hearing that in a lot of theories and a lot of um, discussions is that there's somebody in control. There, There's some sort of a... I definitely uh, think so. You know, the... Right, right. But, 
you know, we need as human beings to know that we are in control. We don't, somebody's in control. I think it's or something because we is in don't like uncertainty. That's correct. We're not built for uncertainty. But I don't know if there's anybody in control. I don't think that, you know, it, it's a scary part to think. Um, you know, there, there's a... Um, okay, I'll put it to you this way. So uh, if your uh, hand touches yes. fire, right? It what burns. happens? Well, yeah. Right, yeah. No, you pull away. Right, but you actually... The, so the decision to pull your hand away isn't yours. Like you're, you're just aware of right? it. It's happening. So not even. So your uh, your hand, right? Well, I guess subconsciously you could say, but your hand will pull away faster than your brain can register it pulling away. So your brain tells you that your hand pulled away before it I actually see what you're like, like like. It makes you think that your hand controlled it, right? So your brain is constantly uh, hiding things from you to make you think that, y- you know, you are in control. And, and consciousness is more of an awareness of what's happening rather than control over mm-hmm. it. So how much, and, and that brings us back to the entire, you know, how do we interact with reality? question and how much control over what's around us we truly have um it's kind of unsettling to to think about uh, you know um but it you know it, it brings about the fact that like if you know if we don't understand ourselves um how do we expect to understand uh another being uh, and you know from a frame of reference we don't have yeah right so we only can look at it from our point of view you know we 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 build things in our own image we assume that there are other beings that are you know look like little green men but who's to say they look like men who's to say that they're carbon-based or that they're even anything we can imagine being you know and and that's what i think that uncertainty, you know, I think a lot of people have a difficulty living with it. Um, and I think that uh, also just, you know, another quote from uh, is, uh, you know, if you're a scientist, uh, you're constantly living in ignorance. So I think that if you're truly an intellectual or, you know, you have to admit to yourself that you're more ignorant than you are, like you don't know more than you know. Right. Um, and so that's unsettling Definitely. to a lot of people you know yeah so um but it's a it's 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 fun i think i i know that that makes me sound a little bit maybe masochistic or sadistic but i think it's uh to me that's definitely not fun Um, like to me that's so unsettling (laughs) i'm like i like yeah i like answers Um, to questions i'm very like straightforward like i want to know exactly what's controlling what and how it'll affect us yeah and that's not that 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 is uh you know uh we're not you know yeah we're, we're we want to be in control and and to some degree we you know i suppose we are because you know if you think about it we've built the world around us right 
um, everything you see around you is, uh, you know, was in somebody's head at some point, right? So we do have the ability to create things and to make them happen. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, uh, I'm sitting here on a chair, right? At some point that was in somebody's head, somebody designed it. So we do have an ability to affect our own world. Wait, you know, you know um, what I saw? Um, this like is a little bit, it's different than what we were talking about, but it's similar. Um, I saw this video and this guy was like, well, if you close your eyes, only like less than half of the population can like doesn't see anything like when you close your eyes and you think of an apple like some people like can't see an apple you know like i just can't mm -hmm. see an apple right well it's a different yeah it's interesting and, like, i wonder if we so many same... people are yeah, like because... on the video we're like who like if you can't see an apple when you close your eyes like you don't have an imagination and it's like that's not true because i can dream i dream all the time but i just i can't see things when i close my eyes Right. And, you know, some people don't think thoughts to themselves or they don't talk to themselves. Yeah. You know, like they're more visual. So on the, on the contrary, they can see the apple, but they don't think about like there's no thinker of there. There's no pretense of a thinker of thoughts, uh, which the is the thing is, very it Buddhist might sound thing, weird, right? but like I can see an apple, but not see it like visually, but like I can imagine it and sort of think about the apple and that's how i'm seeing it in my dreams you know like i'm i'm just thinking about yeah. it and then it yeah, just, that, that, I mean... that's my dream but i could i feel like i could see it i don't know but i don't know it's weird no you dream you dream in thoughts uh or but in my or dream you... i can see like i yeah, know i, mean, I that, can that... see like i once had a lucid dream and like i that saw like i knew i was there oh that's pretty cool I usually have had lucid dreams oh, in the form of nightmares, but um, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Some people, like my friend, uh, said, you know, he could have a lucid dream and he usually just takes off flying. I'm like, that's a level <laughs> of control I don't ha ever have never had in my dreams. I wish I could, but um, you but, know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, no, I was gonna say go um, when going back to panpsychism, which is that. Um, you know, all things have this mind-like quality. There were four arguments mm -hmm. made by um, Thomas Nagel, and they were interesting. I just wanted to mention them. Um, so the first one, he sure. said, um, the matter that makes up humans is not different from any other matter in terms of what it's made of, which, like, I could, I can understand that. And then the second one, mental states like being conscious or in pain are real properties of some humans, which I didn't understand because like they're, I feel like they're properties of all humans. So I didn't know how that, I don't know if you understand that. Can you Mental that? states sorry. like being conscious or in pain are real properties of some humans. That's really deep. Cause I feel like huh. everyone feels pain. Yeah, I mean, pain is a universal, you know, uh, I th I think that different people may experience different pain, you know, different ways. Um, like if you, you know, um, 
like uh, uh, in the in uh, the book Talking to Strangers, you know, you, you take people from New York and people from uh, like the, you know, Aboriginal uh, region or the Aborigines. I'm sorry if I sound ignorant when I say that. But basically in Australia, um, you know, you people will ask, OK, what is your, you know, th they'll be shown a set of faces, right? Basically for people on the other side of the world. Let's just simplify it. And they, what they think is happy is actually sad to the, to the people. So it's, you know, the, even the oh facial God, you expressions know what this are kind of, of opposite. I um, read this study that it was like people in Russia, I think they showed them images. Uh, it was like, I think a color wheel and it was all sorts of blues, like ranging from dark blues to light blues. And then, you know, having them name as many blues as they saw. And then they did that to people all over the world mm -hmm. um, in America. And the results, like the difference in results was astonishing because some places like they could see seven different colors. And then people from another place saw like two different colors in the range of blues. So that also, you know, comes back to perception and how people see things, which was really cool. That is very interesting. I Yeah, I've. You know, there's kind of something similar where, um, you know, you, you and I, let's say, you know, in English, we have, you know, how many different types of snow, right? You know, there's just like a couple different types, right? Whereas, uh, you know, you, you, you have an Eskimos, they'll have like seven or 10 different mm -hmm. types of snow that they can describe, you know, so it all, it's all kind of relative to your, uh, yeah, to, to and where you live, you know, uh, to, to your environment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A third so. argument made by Thomas Nagel was that all of the properties of humans are derived from the properties of their parts. I mean, well, that's that sounds like pan, yeah. almost like panpsychism. Well, yeah, these are the four arguments of panpsychism, Does, doesn't it? Ah, okay, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, is that? derived from the properties of their parts yeah i mean that's uh that's a quite a compelling mm -hmm. argument i think um if you uh you know uh one of the um a treatment for you know a treatment for seizures uh one treatment is to sever the connections uh between yeah. two parts of the brain right so uh because it's kind of a, a misfiring of that circuit and that, you know, that, that's just one treatment. Uh, and what they found in some people when they did that is they have, um, you know, I, I think it's called phantom limb syndrome or something like that. Basically, their uh, uh, left arm uh, just kind of takes off on its own and just does its own thing. And uh, the two separate uh, two hemispheres of the brain start acting as a different person, as two different people uh, to, to the point where. Um, I might be hugging you, but my uh, left hand would be punching you. And um, that has actually happened. And um, what they did was they, the scientists were able to uh, separate out how they communicate with each side of the brain. Don't ask me how. I, yeah, just, yeah. I, I know that they did it, but I don't remember how. And uh, one side uh, is responsible for speech, right? So the side of the brain that was responsible for speech, they said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what? What, what, what's your ideal career or something like that? And they said one thing, I, I believe they said an engineer or something. And then uh, they gave the other hemisphere 
uh, blocks, like li little blocks, uh, um, kind of yeah. like uh, Scrabble, right? So it could put together words. And they asked that side of the brain uh, and it spelled out race car driver. So it wanted to be something completely different from the other side of the that brain. Just, I feel like that disproves you know, so, how much control, the amount of control that people think they have. Like, you know, your brain really has all the control because, you know, it's showing two different sides want two different things. Like if they weren't connected, your brain's basically making the decision for you, right? It's not. Yeah. And yeah. phantom limb syndrome, I looked it up. Yeah. Um, it says the definition, it says it's a condition in which patients experience sensations, whether painful or otherwise, in a limb that doesn't exist. Okay, so that's the wrong. Yeah, yeah. The, so why that's I said not, that's the wrong the, um, yeah. name for it. It's, um, oh man. So then it's a name something else, but the condition definitely is there. Uh, it, it, uh, it's, um, ah, it's at the tip of my tongue. Um, but yeah, th that, that phenomena definitely, uh, has been, uh, seen in patients, um, that, that have had their, uh, th those connections severed between their left and uh, right That's hemispheres. really cool. I wonder like what gave someone, a scientist, that idea to do that, to sever the brains, you know? Well, there, there was some research that pointed to, uh, seizures um you know what they were doing i think was probably again i i don't know the history of that but they probably monitored the brain and during seizures where the most activity was and they probably figured out that the most activity was in those connections between the left and the right side of the brain um and they theorized that uh that if you sever those connections then the seizures would stop and they were right so you know, seizures, seizures come stop. from the connection just... between the two halves of the brain yeah certain types of seizures and I, i'm not familiar yeah, enough yeah. with that you know area but i know that certain types of seizures yes absolutely they come from those uh the the connections it's a good like a um, misfire and the fourth argument by thomas nagel don't know if i'm pronouncing his name right by the way is um mental states cannot be derived from physical properties which is and then it says therefore all matter must have mental properties so mental states can't be derived from physical properties therefore all matter must have mental properties well i mean that's a uh, that's a I don't want to say assumption, mm -hmm. but that's a theory. Yeah. I mean, I guess is, uh, you know, matter. Yeah. I mean, but what do they mean? Mental state? Like, uh, you know, what does that mean? Saying that matter has this mental state. Well, it's like a level of consciousness. Like think about it. Like, um, you know, uh, and Michio Kaku actually put it this way, which was interesting. He said, think about it in, in, in terms of levels of consciousness. So, uh, in Adam, let's say has level one consciousness up to a certain point, right? So you're building up, uh, let's say, you know, a chair would have a level one consciousness, you know, um, where, which is to say none, let's yeah. say, right. Or barely any. Um, and then, uh, you know, let's say that a, uh, tree, you know, would have a level two consciousness or three consciousness and, you know, uh, uh, where, you know, lizard or monkey, where you start getting into brains and things like that, 
have higher levels of consciousness. Um, and so what Nagel is saying is, I think that uh, matter, uh, consciousness is embedded in matter and in, in some ways coalesces in a configuration, which is your brain to yeah, kind of we, snap we on. We mentioned that because right? we talked about how the bonds, the power between bonds of atoms and the interaction of atoms that creates this physical consciousness. So that that's the mental state, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what he's I think I think that's what he's talking about is uh, consciousness being mm -hmm. embedded in matter itself. So um, we just don't know how yet. Uh, yes, you know, I um, that, that's kind I of I heard uh, like on um, it's the website called pun stoppable has these three Fermi paradox puns. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say them. I don't understand them. I don't know if you're gonna understand them. But let's see if you do. So the first one is um it says while talking while talking fermi compost with our daughter tonight my wife dropped this one one worm said to his buddy hey all that food that was in he in her last in here last night is decomposed the other says oh man that's rotten i don't get it that's a What does That's, it mean? I mean, it's funny. I, I mean, decompose is the same thing as rotten, but I'm, I'm not. Yeah, me neither. I, I don't get how it relates to the Fermi pattern. You know, I guess maybe it's which way you look at things. I don't, I don't know. I was like, where's the correlation <laughs> to the Fermi paradox? I, yeah, I don't know, but it's funny. And then the second I, one, um, who was, by the way, who was Schrodinger? Oh, Schrodinger. Um, okay, so he was um, kind of a, uh, he was around the time that Einstein lived, and uh, he was a um, quantum physicist. He was one of the first uh, quantum physicists. So Einstein's theory of relativity applied to physics are very, very large. And Schrodinger was one of the people that studied uh, the physics of the very, very small. So that's quantum physics. Like that's where the double slit oh. experiment um and he theorized about that and uh he so um you know the schrodinger the, the famous paradox is schrodinger's cat because uh what schrodinger uh posited was that um you don't actually know if something exists until you see it right so you only know for example the uh where an electron is uh until um you know, you only know the possibility of Wait, where it was can he be. The you don't know where it is, right? So he said, "You can only, you can't know at the where, like you can't know where an electron is at, at an exact point and its speed, like at the same time." Okay. Yes. Yeah. See the last. Thing yeah, I believe he was, I think yeah. he was. Yeah. So there. Yeah, yeah, and and so Schrodinger, there's a this famous thing is Schrodinger's cat. Uh, you know, if uh, if 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 a, if a cat is in a box, um. Is it dead or alive? A cat is in a box. You know, it's a lot. Well, oh well, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. It's just a thought experiment, right? Right. Is, is it dead or alive? Well, Schrodinger would say I feel like that's similar to the tree, where it's like it drops in the woods and no one hears it. Does it make a sound? Well, but that's uh, right. But that's a distinction because that's talking about mm -hmm. the human experience relative to reality, right? What 
yeah, I mean, it, it is tangentially similar, I guess, in that way. But uh, what what Schrodinger's talking about is um, the state of matter. Um, it doesn't actually kind of solidify until you see it. So what he was saying is that basically uh, an, an atom, when you don't measure it, it it's all mm -hmm. it's both. Right. So, um, and yeah, that's, that, that's, the that's way really you funny. Best, you knew uh, that. And um, because the second joke is what was Schrodinger's cat most afraid of? A Fermi Labrador retriever. <laughs> A Fermi Labrador Why was Schrodinger's cat afraid of Fermi? Well, Fermi says... A Fermi Labrador retriever? I don't know. Maybe if the Labrador retriever... Uh found out that it didn't exist because if it opened the box and it didn't exist and the yeah, cat was dead. What does dead. that have to do with the Fermi paradox that there's some sort of extraterrestrial life out there? Well, uh, no, the Fermi paradox, remember it says Well, we don't know, but the probabilities we don't are know. high, yes. The... Oh, I guess Correct. that relates to so it in that Schrodinger's I, I cat, that... you don't know if it's dead or alive, and then the Fermi paradox, the probabilities are high that there's extraterrestrial life, but we still don't know for sure. Which, yeah, because yeah, so a paradox, cat, um, I actually looked up the definition earlier. It says, um, right here, one, it says a paradox is an absorbed proposition that when investigated may be proven to be well-founded or true. So it may be proven, meaning it's not for certain. Right, right, right. Uh, so you know, you think of something, but why hasn't it happened? You know? Um, so, yeah. Wait, I'm trying. I don't know what happened to the third Speaking joke. Of... Oh, wait, here it is. Enrico's two mallards wander where all the intelligent aliens are. Fermi's pa paradox. Paradox. Para what? Huh? Oh well, that one—that one's obvious. If two intelligent creatures yeah, are figuring paradox? out where. Um... Oh, paradox! Oh my God, how did I not get that? I just don't get what paradox are. Like wait, like a oh, duck? pair of ducks. Like pair of ducks. Oh. Yeah. That's just a way to make it sound like paradox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's what that that's the whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because I funny. before this discussion, like I had no clue what any of the jokes meant, and now I at least understand two of them. <laughs> well, that makes both of us. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I understand the third one either. So. No, it's all yeah. fascinating to me, you know. So. Oh, wait, before before um, we end this, because I yeah. know we've, you know, went over a lot and the discussion's coming to an end. I wanted to play this song. Just wait. Okay, you know Crash Course, John Green? I don't know if you know him. I He's, do not, um, but I'm willing to listen. He makes these videos. Um, they're educational, like topics like social studies, English, science. And he wrote a song called The Firm Paradox. And I'm going to end this episode with this song. Only pay for what you need. With oh, wait. Music. That is an ad. Okay.
It's it's a very nice song. Okay, wait, it's loading. <laughs> for people who like me singing songs. Song Wednesdays are returning. From now until the end of 2010, I'll be doing a new song every single Wednesday. I'm doing this because I have songs stuck in my head and it's hard to get them out unless I am very motivated to do so. And so I am motivating myself through Nerdfighteria. I need you to motivate me. This song is a companion song to a video I made a little bit a while ago. A little bit a while ago. Doesn't make any sense. I do hope you enjoy this. In 1950, at Los Alamos, a scientist was talking with his friends. And the conversation had them all fully engrossed about this universe that almost has no end. And as they were all about to enter into their study, Enrico suddenly shouted, Where is everybody? And he sat down and did a few simple calculations that indicated we should have been visited thousands of times at least based on his estimations. And that's the Fermi paradox. If they're out there, why don't you hear about the galaxy just keeps on but it with 400 billion stars in it? And I just can't believe that we could be unique when there's so much space in this galaxy. Oh, our Pandora's box to be open, but instead we're stuck in Fermi's paradox. There are dozens of ways this paradox can be resolved, and you probably can think of some yourself. Maybe advanced technology rarely evolves, or maybe God sent them all to hell. Or maybe that technology leads to its own destruction, or maybe species lose interest in reproduction. Or maybe they're just afraid of what we'll do when we find out, so they're hiding until Yeah, so these are the reasons that we haven't met them yet. Oh, I love it. I love it. Paradox song by Vlog Brothers, John Green. Yes, that's awesome. So I wanted to end with oh that. Oh my god, because, that's so great! You know, that that's perfect. Includes that just goes over the Fermi paradox, just in case you know people wanted a summary. Uh, yes. I can't think of a better way to conclude this podcast. That was great. Okay, was well, fantastic. thank you so much for being my first guest. I really appreciate it. I think this was a very productive discussion. I feel like we both learned a lot from each other. And it was really interesting. Yeah. Storyblocks Audio.
Storyblocks Audio. Storyblocks Audio.